Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all here together tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be your church in St. Andrews. Thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you. Bless our time together tonight. Be with us all as we go out from here. In the name of Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everyone. If anyone you don't know me, I'm Clayton. I'm on the staff team here. Um, in our evening services, we have sort of four concurrent series running. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, we are doing praise and prayer, which is pretty self-explanatory. We praise and we pray. We have eating with the Lord. That'll be next week time where we read a passage from scripture that focuses on someone eating with God, and then we share communion together. Then we have God at work in the world, usually focuses on um, somewhere far from here. Someone brings testimony or personal experience from somewhere that they've come from or their background or their upbringing. And then we have God at work around us, time of more personal sharing, um, time of more personal thoughts and things that God is doing more locally in our community here in St. Andrews or through us. And that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight. So I want to talk about how I've seen God working around me and often in spite of me. Some of that is here in St. Andrews, but some of it has also happened at times in the past. I've only been here in Scotland for a few years and I find the timeline of ministry is often much longer than that. So I'm going to broaden the timeline and tell you a few stories about times when I have seen God at work. And then I want to highlight a few things. So back when I was in high school, long time ago, I had a job at Starbucks. My first real job, my first real experience with real everyday people as an adult or almost an adult. Now, I want to stress this was not a ministry field in my mind. I was a teenager working at a coffee shop, and that's all I ever saw it as, just making very sugary coffee at crazy early hours in the mornings. One of the assistant managers at our Starbucks was a guy called Matt. Really, really big, scary guy, several inches taller than me, huge beard, and fresh out of prison. Also probably 20 years my senior. He was trying to restart his life. Of course, my brain labeled him immediately as a criminal, someone I needed to be wary of. But he was good at his job. He was kind. He was great chat, a lot of interesting stories. Soon I started to enjoy working with him, chatting, making coffee, and that continued until I left there and went off to uni about two years later, or college as we Americans call it. We were never particularly close but I left on good terms. A couple of years later after that, I got a Facebook message from another one of our colleagues from there, a guy called Andres. I didn't even immediately recognize him. We'd not spoken since I left work. I don't think we were even Facebook friends at the time. So the message kind of went into my spam and it took a little bit for me to find it. He had messaged me and he said that he was still working at that Starbucks. He also said that Matt had become a Christian just before he left work there, and it changed him somehow. 
Andres wanted to know what that was about. And he remembered that I was a Christian. And would I mind popping by to talk to him whenever I was next back in town? Because he had some questions. I was absolutely stunned. So next time I was home, several weeks later, I messaged to see if he wanted to get coffee. And he said, sure, so long as it's not at the Starbucks. So we went somewhere else. And he told me that Matt had gotten his life back on track, had become a Christian, and that when Andres had asked him about it, Matt mentioned that something had seemed different about me. And he'd known that I was a Christian, and he wanted to see what was up. So Matt began to investigate and ultimately became a Christian himself. Now, of course, Andres was noticing that same difference in Matt and was himself curious. So he reached out to Matt, who told him, I don't know anything, find Clayton. <laughs> we talked, and I didn't have anything special to say. I was awkward, uncomfortable, probably not that helpful. But the Holy Spirit was moving in Andres and didn't need my help. Andres wanted a friend and to know where to turn next and what he was supposed to do. He thought he needed a Christian to get God's attention before he could speak to him. He wanted me to tell God about him so that he could open the conversation. And he wanted an introduction. I still remember it to this day. He said, I don't know how this works. Can you give God my phone number? <laughs> we laughed and I told him it was actually the other way around. God had already been trying to call him, but he thought it was a spam call and he just needed to save the contact <laughs> to his phone. Andres accepted Christ in that conversation. I've never again been able to get a hold of Matt, but I'd love to chat to see how he is, see how his life is, how his faith is. My guilt about being wary about him being a criminal has never really left me. But God worked in me anyway. I was in fact an active hindrance to the spreading of the gospel, but it spread nonetheless to two people and maybe even more. I've never been very comfortable witnessing to people the sort of sit down and let me tell you about Jesus conversations. I feel embarrassed, maybe like I'm intruding on someone's day or intruding on their worldview or something like that. I also think I bring with me a lot of the shame about the way the church acts and has acted in the past and the way Christians often treat people or are perceived as treating people. This brings me to my next story about how God has worked through me and in spite of me. This story is about doubt, about my own doubt and the matching doubt of a friend of mine. So a few years before I moved here, I went through a period of spiritual desert. I had become fed up with the American church. It's often insincerity. It's often poor teaching and the way that poor teaching left people unprepared for the world. I know there's lots of amazing churches and amazing Christians and amazing pastors out there in the United States, but they were hard to find, despite the prevalence of churches, mega churches, people everywhere all the time. I knew so many people who would tell me, I grew up going to church, but I realized it was just something that my parents did. Or perhaps I realized it was just a sort of Sunday social club. Too often people felt like they knew the Bible, they'd grown up with it, they knew the gospel, they'd grown up with that, 
They'd heard of Jesus, and still they wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't really understand, of course. The church existed in the minds of my friends as an institution that was old and gross, not relevant in the modern world. The church has no place for me, and so I have no place for the church. A place where people with tattoos and piercings or people who were homosexual were not welcome. Where rhetoric about personal freedoms and family values and making sure not to watch Game of Thrones was mixed with fake people being fake righteous. We would say whitewashed tombs, perhaps. So, I have doubts in my own faith. I'm not certain that you can have faith without doubt. If there is no doubt, there is no faith. Maybe. Part of belief and belief as a central idea in, what you, in how you live your life, belief without definitive proof that something is true comes with the inherent possibility that you might be wrong. Even when I am assured, when I feel God working around me, when I see people come to faith, when I study the scriptures as hard as I can, and I'm convinced of their truth, that doubt still exists, whether I acknowledge it in the moment or not. So one day in about 2017, I expressed this doubt to my flatmate, Zane. We were just chatting in our flat one evening. I was feeling like a bad Christian. At the time, I hadn't been to church in a few years. I felt burnt out and like I was doing something wrong. I knew I was still a believer but I had no Christian community, no support network, no discipleship or mentorship. And I was more or less adrift in my own faith. I still felt that I belonged to God, but that I didn't belong to the church. When I expressed this, Zane kind of stopped dead in his tracks and he looked at me like a light bulb had exploded in his head. He told me that he used to be a Christian, like so many others I knew, and he had had doubts. The church he was attending with his parents at the time, the church he grew up in, told him his faith wasn't strong enough. He better read some more scripture. He better pray harder. He left the faith. He was just trying to be honest with himself. He had doubts. He couldn't get rid of them. And so he thought, well, I must not be a Christian anymore. In the conversation that we had, it was the first time anyone had told him you could have doubts and still be a Christian. In fact, it was built in. What a remarkable concept. We talked about faith and about how I felt and still feel all the same questions he had. Is any of this real? Is it possible it could be faked? If God is who he says he is, why is this all so hard? Why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why is there endless amounts of mindless violence? Zane said something that evening that absolutely broke my heart. He asked me, if God really loved him and wanted him and cared for him, why did he feel such an overwhelming sense of loneliness all the time? I didn't have a good answer. And I still don't have a good answer. There was a lot of crying that evening. Um, Zane is still not a Christian. He calls me often with a church question, a theology question, 
or he's heard something on TikTok about how COVID was a marker of the end times. He likes a good conspiracy theory. But he's curious. He's looking. The Holy Spirit is working in him. I said at the beginning of this talk, the timeline of ministry is very long. It's years, decades, lifetimes. I know the Holy Spirit is working in my friend, and I'm confident that we will feast together in the house of Zion. It's funny to me how frequently the Bible is, a, is better at Christian life than Christians are. My doubts still exist, and oftentimes there's little room for that in the church. But there's great comfort in the psalmists themselves asking the same questions that I have. Abby read from Psalm 13. The psalmist says, where are you? What are you doing? Why can't we hear you? Why can't we find you? I'm going to read the text from Psalm 73 now, which says more of the same. Truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. That's how I felt. I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But they have no pain. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not plagued like other people. Pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. And their eyes swell out with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten opposition. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues range over the earth. Therefore the people turn and praise them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Such are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. In vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long, I have been plagued and I am punished every morning. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. These are words that resonate in the 21st century. Words that resonate with Christians today and words that resonate with people who are no longer Christians or claim that they have parents or grandparents who are Christians. I do like the way this psalm ends, though. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, the psalmist talking to the Lord. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me with honor. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Indeed, those who are far from you will perish but you put an end to those who are false to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge to tell of all your works. This is the word of God. The word of God asking the very questions that I have. Why is there evil? 
Not only that, why are the evil people doing so good? Where's God in all of this? It's really great comfort to me that these texts exist and are so prevalent throughout the scriptures. So why have I told these stories tonight? I want to call on us to be good witnesses and to pray that God moves in the people around us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our fears, our hesitations, our doubts, and to have honest conversations with each other about those things. Now, I know this is not an American megachurch, but all the same, I want to say, ministry and witnessing are a long, hard, slow, and sometimes seemingly fruitless exercise. Years and years. But the Lord is eternal. What are our a few years? These things take time. I still carry a great amount of anxiety about witnessing to friends. It feels awkward and hard, like an intrusion, as I said, even if they have prompted the conversation. But that's not all that witnessing is. Witnessing is years of living Christian life, being perhaps just that little bit more joyful, just that little bit more steadfast in the face of difficulty. Just enough maybe to pique someone's curiosity and the Holy Spirit will move in them. You might never hear of the people you have witnessed to. You might never see that fruit in this lifetime. But it's there. I want to close what I have to say tonight by reading the Beatitudes from Matthew 5. They encapsulate a lot of the ideas I'm trying to express here tonight far better than I could say. Think about the people around you as I read. The people who are just in your life. You don't think of them as someone you're witnessing to or trying to have conversations with. They're just there. Your mailman, a work colleague, fellow student, an acquaintance. People who are just around you. They're not in your life, just around. The Holy Spirit can and does move in their lives. And will you be available to listen to them, to respect them, and to give them God's phone number? So think about all of those people in your life. Listen to these words. And then after which time, uh, we're going to have a moment of silence for some prayer Pray quietly as you like. Turn and pray with the people beside you as you feel led. And then after a few minutes, the band will listen. Uh, the band will play, excuse me. But first, I'm going to read the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> 